Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. Stay active. Stay off Instagram because it'll make you jealous and inactive. Just keep creating. Put your stuff out. And uh, and this is like the time to do this. And like the Internet will tell you if something's good and if it's not good. And it's basically like a studio. You'll get your notes right there in the comments and you can choose to listen to them or not choose to listen to them. But uh, stay active. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. Hope you're doing great today. I am, and you're going to have a great episode with my guest today, part two of Owen Smith, a writer, executive producer, stand-up comedian, and actor that you're going to really enjoy a lot. Before I get started, I wanted to thank you all so much for your support. As always, I am a broken record and I thank you all who continually listen. It means a lot to me and your correspondence does as well. And for those of you first timers, welcome, enjoy, have fun, and I appreciate you subscribing. And without further ado, when I think of Owen Smith, I always think of a guy who is very, very well-liked within the circles of his community. A guy who is known as a hard worker, who's known to give others opportunities when he gets them, is always a person who gives everything to every assignment he has, whether it's as a writer, producer, actor or stand-up a guy who people of great respect in the business people like joe rogan think that he is one of the most impressive stand-up comedians out there and if you have been living in a cave and you don't know the power and the impact that joe rogan has had on our business in the past five or ten years 
let alone before that. Well, let me tell you, this guy, as everybody knows, is probably more influential than anyone in late night television. Sometime soon, I'm sure approaching the days of Johnny Carson's Tonight Show, when he could simply give you the OK sign and you'd be selling out clubs and theaters all over the country. And as an actor, Owen's booked three pilots in the last five years. And as a writer has written with some of the greatest people on some of the best shows, most well-respected in the business, like Everybody Hates Chris, Survivor's Remorse, and Blackish. And I truly believe the reason why Owen is a guy that always works in all areas of the business is because of the incredible relationships he's forged throughout the years, not only by being a nice guy, but a guy whose work has always spoken as strongly as his relationships. Because it doesn't matter how great your relationships are, if your work sucks, or if your work is average, or if your work is good, or even if your work is very good, you have to have a two-fisted approach to the business. Don't be an asshole and continually be a nice person to everyone you run into in the business, whether you're working or you're not working. And then when you get the opportunity to work, you make sure that you work harder and smarter and you deliver extraordinary work. And then if you can navigate the politics, not just inside the job and workplace, but inside the area where it's not the paid workplace, or if it is a paid workplace, it's more of a hangout spot. And if you can figure out how to do that, the great extraordinary work, the great extraordinary relationships, and the ability to navigate in all circles with all types of people. And you maintain in those circles at that level, in any walk of life, in any job that you do, I can guarantee you, you'll have the possibility of the kind of career that Owen Smith has. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and Seaman. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Now I'm on the air. Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. How often do you see your dad between 3 and 12? First, the first biggest rejection of my life was my father. So my father always knew where I was, but he never actively tried to reach out to me. It was my mom that always facilitated that and, and pushed that. So my dad would always, I'm his only child, but he would always call me 
uh, he would always miss my birthday. <laughs> so if that's not a big like, hey, man. And he's like, when's your birthday again? It's like, ah. Oh. And I didn't realize that that was like creating this, you know, resentment and all this stuff in me. But uh, yeah, so my dad, like I always knew where he was. But my mom never spoke badly about him. And how come you didn't go to him? I did later. I did later. I, and he said it at my wedding. He said that I always, you know, seeked him out uh, because I had questions. Like after about 13, it was only so much my mom could tell me about things. And I just wanted to know like who I was. So I would always try to reach out and, you know, he would always, you know, take the call and we would, we would, it, you know, it's a, but, uh, but when I was, yeah, yeah. I stayed with my father after I graduated from Notre Dame. I stayed with him for 11 months because he, I got a partial, I got a academic scholarship to Notre Dame. And so we had to pay a little bit of money. And uh, my dad was agreed to pay a little bit <laughs> my freshman year. He was living in Chicago at the time. My freshman year, he came to campus and took me to lunch and says, I'm not going to be able to pay for your college. I'm starting a business. You want a sandwich? <laughs> so, that was, so it was just like I, I never saw this guy as someone I could rely on like ever. And so I had to get a job in the dining hall and all these other odd jobs to, you know, pay for the, the, the and my mom borrowed some. My mom did something. I can't remember what she did, but she she made it so that I didn't feel this thing uh, too tough. And we got through, finished uh, college. But when I got out of college, I got a job in Chicago and I didn't know where I was going to stay. And it was like, your dad owes you this much. So I asked if I could stay with him and my stepmom in uh, Deerfield, Illinois. And I stayed with them for 11 months. And um, that was interesting. I was doing stand up at the same time. I started doing. So I'm jumping all over the place. This is really I don't know, I'm a bit thrown by just thinking about it, but so at nine, so at nine years old, I'm at this babysitter's house. Eddie Murphy Delirious comes on HBO. Back then, HBO was on Channel Six, and you you turn the the TV and it comes on. And these babysitters were extremely Christian. I went to a a school called Clinton Christian, and every time Eddie would curse, they would turn the channel, but they would be in tears laughing. And they go, oh, Lord, oh, you can't, you can't see this. Ooh, oh, maybe he stopped cursing. We'll turn back. And they turn back to, and he curse again and start laughing. They turn the channel. And I was, I was like, who, what, what is this? Like, what is he doing? Because I saw him making people laugh. And I go, that's what I did. So I told you on my backstory to say, like, as a defense mechanism, people would always stop and go, where are you from? Because I didn't look like I was from the area, right? Where are you from? And I would go, I'm from here. Nah, man, where are you from from? <laughs> I would go, I'm from the Bahamas. And I had a lisp. I'm from the Bahamas. And they would go, like, you, you Bahamamanian, man? Hey, y'all, hey, young, he Bahamamanian. And so people would start to tease me. And sometimes I would go home crying. And my mom, it was like a Marvel movie. She goes, if somebody's teasing you, you tease them right back. That's all I needed. <laughs> so I just started clowning people. And I got so good at it that 
people, no one, no one would mess with me. And then they would like almost be, hey man, talk about him, you know, or I would tell people what to say about people. And it just, it was how I related to people through humor just, and I, and then I, and I would always make people laugh. And so when I saw Eddie Murphy doing that, I go, that's what I'm, I'm gonna do that. And I remember my first thought, I said, what is this? What is this? And they said, he's a comedian. I go, I'm gonna do that. I knew, I said, I'm gonna do that for the rest of my life. Just not in that outfit. <laughs> Cause he had on red leather and I was like, I can't pull off <laughs> red leather pants. And and then um, my aunt Sissy, Southeast, she was the only person who had HBO. So I lied to her and told her I needed to watch something for school. And cause I, you know, back then it was TV guide and found out what time it came on and it was like Christmas morning, I couldn't sleep. And then we wake up and uh, it's like, it's like, it, I think it came on at like two in the morning and I'm just watching it and my aunt sits next to me and Eddie's cursing and my aunt looks at it for a little bit and she looked at me and goes, don't tell your mama here. <laughs> and she just goes back in the bedroom and I memorized the whole thing. So that was the first time it was a connection with me. But someone told me in second grade, we had a teacher who said if we behaved, they would play Bill Cosby records for us. His name was, uh, I think, Mr. Ooh, Mr. Thaddeus or something like that. And um, and so I would always make the class behave. Someone told me later on Facebook. I didn't. I don't have a memory of that. But uh, that's when I knew I was going to be a comedian. But I didn't tell anybody because I didn't grow up in a encouraging environment where if you said what you wanted to do for real, for real, people would clown you. So I just kept it to myself, but I would always make people laugh. But now when I made you laugh, it was with a purpose in my head. I'm like, yeah, I'm being a comedian right now. In my head, it was a quiet little secret I kept to myself. Then when I was 19 years old, I was home for the summer after freshman year of Notre Dame, and I was working at the Department of Energy. Shout out to Wanda Jones. She got me that job along with my mom. And every lunch break, I would make everybody laugh. And this big dude walked over to me, this cat named Kevin. I can't remember his last name, but he was like, yo, you funny. And I thought he was going to like do something to me. And he goes, I'm going to take you to this comedy club <laughs> for open mic. And so it was one of those things where I wished that into existence. I, I was like, all right, yeah, man, let's go. And in true DC form, he goes, uh, I'm going to take you to this comedy club. His next sentence was, pick me up at my spot. I'm like, I thought you were taking me. But I had to go into like deep DC, pick this cat up. And he takes me to this comedy club called The Comedy Connection in Greenbelt. And outside was a big, uh, huge poster of Martin Lawrence because he's from this area. Dave Chappelle is from Prince George's County. Donnell Rollins is from here. T-Rex. Shoot, man. So many funny, funny cats. Um, uh, Taraji P. Henson is from this area. Um, Regina Hall. Just so many people come from this this area. So... um, but Martin was was just, was a breakout star, and this was one of his home rooms where he kind of like honed his craft. I walk in there, and uh, it's empty. It's a black comedy club. I sign up on the list, and I sit in the back of the room, and I got bubble guts. This is like, I'm so nervous. Then the host, Chris Paul, takes the stage eventually around 9 o'clock. I get there at like 8, and I sit through every comedian with Kevin. 
and Chris never called my name. With Kevin. Yeah, the guy who, who I worked with at Department of Energy, and Chris never called my name. So I had to drop Kevin back off in D.C. And, I, and I'm a very competitive person, so I go, I'm going to go back to the open mic night again. I'm just going to go by myself. I'm not going to tell anybody. Did you ask him why he didn't call your name? No, I didn't. I didn't. I was afraid to the first time. It was such a, it was such a big thing to me. I didn't even know who to talk to and ask you know what I mean I didn't know the show was over I was I didn't want him to put me up last I was terrified you know what I mean uh, hey man you didn't call my name I, I didn't even know what to do so we just left I, I just didn't know so I come back the next time and I sign my name up in several places and same thing happens he doesn't call my name again <laughs> that time I went up to him I go hey man I've been coming here why do you call my name? And Chris just goes, oh, I didn't know you. Come back next week. It's just that simple. First lesson in showbiz. I didn't know you. Come back. So I came back the following week, signed up, and they, he called me up first. That's in. That's the we don't know if he's good spot. <laughs> you know, All right, before Chris even really like did material, he's like, what's up, y'all? All right, we're going to get things rolling. Our first. <laughs> it's also the toughest spot. Toughest spot. So I go up and uh, I had this little Power Rangers joke and something else. And I was doing my act and I was talking so fast. Didn't bomb. Got some laughs. But for the most part, the audience was like looking at me smiling, you know. But when I got off stage, every comedian came up to me and they were like, yo, that was funny. That was so good. And they were telling me, slow down, say this. And it was the first time. Uh, other black men were just very open and telling me, hey, man, yeah, the, other than like on the basketball court, you know. So I was like, this is home. Like, this is, yeah, this, this is. So I, I, and the, and as the night progresses at an open mic, more seasoned comedians go on. And one of the seasoned guys who took the stage was a guy I went to school in eighth grade with, a cat named Mike Brooks. And uh, I was like, yo, I know this guy. So I go up to him afterwards. He's like, yo, what's up, Joe? What's up, young? You doing this? I go, yeah. So Mike took me around the city that summer. We just went to every spot and he showed me how to, you know, fake it till you make it type thing. Mike's intros would be hilarious. Like, you seen him on Martin Lawrence show. You seen him on tour with Sinbad. You seen him on Arsenio Hall. He ain't do none of those things. <laughs> I go, you didn't do any of these things. You gotta fake it till you make it, Joe. And then he would take the stage and do his thing and then I would go up. And my goal was to just get paid that summer because I believe once you got paid, you're professional. So at the end of the summer, this cat named Pops, shout out to Pops, he gave me a crumpled up $25 in my hand. I was like, I'm a professional comedian. You can't tell me nothing. So I went back to South Bend. I was like, I'm going to tear this town up. I was I was performing in D.C. and Maryland all summer. South Bend don't stand a chance. So I started doing stand-up there. Like, like if Instagram and YouTube were, were around back then, I would have a trillion followers because I was just doing comedy everywhere. And winning competitions <laughs> then in the 10,000 hours of it all a funny bone opens in South Bend funny bone comedy club opens in South Bend I went through a breakup my grades were terrible so I had to do summer school I started working as a doorman at that funny bone and uh, convinced him to let me perform on their open mic blew him away became the house MC so I got to perform every Tuesday through Sunday 
I would seat you, go on stage, much like they do at the comedy store here. I was doing this in South Bend, Indiana. So I'd seat you, go on stage, entertain you, and then sit back and watch a national touring headliner perform. All different types, from Larry the Cable Guy to D.L. Hughley, you know what I mean? And so Jamie Foxx, Cedric the Entertainer, and then every, then the other like 42 weeks would be, you know, what they call, I guess, mainstream performers would be like, you know, just funny white cats that uh and so i would just i learned so much about life the world people you know through a comedian's act you learn it's like a different education you know and uh and i did and i was in school at the same time then i started booking like road work and diana limo took me under her wing uh rest in peace and she told me when i if i came to chicago to look her up and she showed me how to book work on the road and I became a road act and back then what did she show you she um she basically kind of gave me the lay of the land like where the rooms are in Illinois and she would vouch for me so if I go Diana Limo said you know I should speak to you okay they would let me showcase and see my stuff and then if uh they give you five minutes and if I did five minutes they would I would generally get booked you know as for a paid to MC or to and then I'd move up to feature and, and that nature and she also showed me how to put together your your promo kit you know what I mean you got to get a headshot your resume and then to call clubs and see if you can showcase and I was doing all that and uh and um and then and I was able to back then comedy it still is but it was just it was kind of like segregated like there was a a mainstream room in downtown Chicago called Zanies and then I would work all jokes aside that was also the, the black comedy club and um I was able to do both but Zanies Bert Haas um I went I approached him and I said I'd like to showcase for you and he goes all right Owen you need to do seven minutes tonight show clean and I have a date for you in July and uh, July was like 10 months away (laughs) so what I did I knew Bert Haas stood outside every day I mean every Tuesday he was he would stand outside and personally take tickets and count so every Tuesday for those next 10 months I found myself in, at Zany's just saying hey Bert and he would always go July every Tuesday hey Bert July hey Bert July <laughs> every Tuesday I would come up there hey Bert just July July he never bent and I and I never there was never a cancellation never a cancellation it could have been he still was just like July July and uh, I think he liked that it was just something I did I just made myself available hey man just what has everything July okay (laughs) and I keep it moving so when I would hear other comedians complain man you know forget zanies man they don't don't mess with black acts man I was like dude I went up there every I would tell him I went up there every Tuesday for 10 months you know and then when I got to showcase he I got passed. So how you work up there? And I was like, I, and I, I, I would tell him I went up there every Tuesday for 10 months. I ain't doing all that, man. Forget that. Like, okay. But that's, I didn't know not to do that. So I just did that. So I was able to work both rooms and uh, just learn so much. And that's, and Chicago is really where I learned how to, because back then people would say, they would go, Hey man, do seven minutes. I knew how to do seven minutes. Hey, do 15. I knew how to do 15. Give me 22. I knew how to do 22. Give me 45. You know what I mean? Like I learned how to do those types of things in Chicago. And, um, 
And at the same time, Bernie Mac was uh, in Chicago and he had a show at a little small spot called Miltroneers. And how I discovered that is I was performing at a room run by, I want to say his name is Lynn Ostrovitz. That guy, I didn't know he taught comedy. I found out, I found that out from Alonzo Bowden. But Lenny ran a room called The Funny Firm, and then it became The Fallout, and then it fell out. But what I loved about The Fallout is you, you got to do, on a Saturday night, they did three shows, but, they did, you, but you would get to do six shows on a Saturday. You perform downstairs, then you run upstairs. They'd literally be introducing you. You perform there, then you run back downstairs. That show would clear out. They start another one. You perform. You know what I mean? So you would get these reps in. And that's where I met Ali Leroy. Ali, I got off stage one time, and he was sitting in like this mysterious trench coat, and you just hear his voice. Ali Leroy was part of a comedy team with three players himself, Lance Crothers and Robin Montague, called the Mary Wong Trio. Mm -hmm. And then he became a writer, executive producer, and creator, and has worked with Owen on many different shows and worked with many great artists. Yep, and he just goes, hey man, you funny. Um... Bernie, uh, Bernie Mac does a show. I think you should. I want you to be on it. Okay. Hey, man, should I give you my number? I'll find you. And he just walked away. And then that Tuesday, I got a phone call from a woman. I want to say her name was Mary, but I can't remember. And she just goes, uh, yes, uh, we would like to have you come to Milton News. The show begins at such and such time. Get there by such and such. And uh, that's when I met Bernie Mac. And he was instrumental in helping me break the news to my mom that this is what I was going to do for the rest of my life because uh, he had this wonderful room a small room uh, where he would um, he would do 45 minutes up front it was on Tuesdays it was called get your yucks for five bucks is what he would say and everybody would come down there like Holly, anyone from Hollywood who was filming a movie so they, they were filming Love Jones and like Neil Long was sitting right there and and then they would have two comedians and two singers and he had a live band behind him the macaroni dancers and he this show actually aired on HBO briefly it became the HBO show yeah yeah and so and Ali would write like jokes for Bernie and so I found out later that Bernie would be working on the work that those two worked on together and Bernie would sit on stage behind you and if you made him laugh, he'd hit you on the leg and he'd call me Owens. And he'd be like, give him five more Owens. And so I already knew how to do five more from the zanies and all that. Oh, give him seven. And I knew how to do seven. Like he just, so I, he liked me, man. And I would come. And so when my mom came to visit, I bought her to that show. Because it was like black excellence, man. Everyone down there was just beautiful. And just, it was just one of the funnest environments. And she saw me perform for the first time. Then afterwards, Bernie talks to my mom for over an hour. After the show, every, after everything broke down, they were off. Um, I just remember looking like, what's he saying to my mom? But after that, she went, she became my biggest supporter. So I'm forever grateful to Bernie for whatever he said to my mom. And, um, and what was your first break crossing over into the writing world? That would be Everybody Hates Chris. How did it happen? Oh, wow. Um, Mysterious Ali Leroy (laughs) sent me. So first he was working on the Orlando Jones show. Do you remember that show on FX? Yes, I do. So he was. uh, 
I don't know if he was the, the, the head writer. I can't remember, but he it was ha- an Orlando Jones talk, talk show. show. Yeah. And so he hired me to do a couple of sketches there. And that's kind of how we reconnected. Then out of nowhere, I had, I had started doing colleges and colleges pay what a club pay in one day, what a club pays in a week when you're just starting. And so I remember I was talking to my college agent getting a date and college agents tend to be long winded <laughs> because there's all these rules. And I remember I saw this number I didn't know on the other line and I didn't click over. I go, I'll get it later. And then I, I listened to the message and it's like, hey, man, this is uh, the assistant from Ali Leroy calling. Um, give us a call. And I call right back. Nothing. And I, I call back again. Nothing. And then I think he sent me a text. We got somebody. I was like, what? So they he wanted to hire me to work on the pilot of Everybody Hates Chris. But they ended up hiring this comedian named James Hanna. Rest in peace, James. And uh, I was so mad because I wanted to work on that show. I secretly wanted the show to fail because they didn't have me. <laughs> and I was like, forget that show. But I kept seeing it in the trades and it was, and the Chris Rock was the funniest man in America and the show gets picked up. I was like, man, I could have worked on that show. So I'm off doing a college and um, when I land, I, I, I see I got an email and it was from Ali going, give me a call. But the email was from like 17 hours before because I was traveling just back when college gigs you got to take four planes you know to get to some of these schools and so then i call them and i go oh i know you probably found somebody else i know i missed it he goes nah man nah it's cool how do you feel about acting with chris rock that was the question i was like i feel great so i think i'm gonna be acting with chris rock i think i'm acting in the show and he goes all right man give jim michaels a call and uh we'll see you on monday monday at seven all right I was like seven. Oof. So I show up and get there Monday at seven. Find out my job is reading Chris Rock's voiceover off camera <laughs> to give the actors for the actors timing for the show for Tashina Arnold and Terry, whoever it is. But my mother said I was doing that off camera. And then when I was doing that, that's when I that was like my master's degree in how single camera comedy works and I my father believe it or not has sent me a book called The Alchemist and I read it before I went on set and it helped me because I just I from that book I took just basically sit down and be quiet and all answers were revealed like all questions because when you're on a set you want to go who's that what's that I didn't do any of that I would just listen to side conversations and people would walk up and I'd be wondering who is that man and then some you would just hear side, side conversations I can't stand when Bradley comes over here and says the last bagel and I was like I would like write down Bradley like on my thing and I look his name up oh he does that here he comes when you know, I would just learn from listening to other people and I, I would just read the off camera stuff but at that time I was I I was doing I was acting in commercials I was acting I was auditioning so this was also like the best acting school too being on set seeing how actors actually perform you know on a live set with all these this noise going on and all these things happening and so this is where I was when we were running the scenes I go oh man that could be funnier hmm oh it'd be funnier if she said that what if this because that's kind of like how my mind works and I would, instead of saying it to somebody, I would just write it on my script. I would just think about it. That would be cool. Wow. Be... And then one day, 
I don't know if Ali saw me doing this or whatever, but he just goes, hey, man, this scene not working. You got anything? I was like, do I? <laughs> I said, yo, Tashina should say this and this and this. And he laughs with his whole body. So he just started laughing. He stopped. Everything goes, yo, T, I got something for you. Say this. And then she laughed. Ha, you stupid. And then uh, they do the scene. The whole crew laughs. They have to do it again without the crew laughing. And on that day, Chris Rock shows up and he's on the other side. And you hear him go, fuck that. Say this. <laughs> That's like literally what he said. And he walked in and everybody laughed. So then she does it. And then I whispered to Ali another one. And he started laughing. Yo, T, say this. So it became like a, a little battle. And then Chris had another one. And then I probably should have stopped, but I didn't know. And I was like, because I had a bunch of them. And they did that one. And that one got the biggest laugh. And then Chris Rock goes, ah, I got nothing. So I was like, hey, wow, this is crazy. Like, Did he know it was you? He, yeah, he knew it was me because at the end it was like this receiving line where the whole cast and crew was shaking his hand because that was his first day on set. And when I shook his hand, he kind of like, you know, did the half hug, but he kind of pushed his elbow on my ribs and he goes, what's up, nigga? Like that. And I was like, yo, Chris Rock called me a nigga. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember. I to, Is that a rite of passage? Yeah, I felt like it was. I was like, that's what's up. And so then um, I remember I had to go right to the airport to catch a red eye to go do a college. And as I'm walking through LAX, his picture was on every magazine, like a, like a magazine wall. I mean, he just called me a nigga. Like everywhere I looked, because he at that time he was the funniest man in America. That was the, and so it was really cool. A really could cool be argued he still is. Hey man, it was. And so working, seeing how he arrived at his funny on a daily basis really helped me with my confidence because we arrived at it the same, you know, the same way. And sometimes I would think of a joke before he would get to it, or sometimes he would say something. I go, oh, that's dope. And uh, just being in that environment and then s- seeing my jokes be received, I go, oh, yeah, I could do this. How long before you got the call that you're going to make the Writers Guild minimum on the show? Well, Ali told me he was going to make me staff for season five. I went in on, I was in on season one, season one. Season four, he told me he'd make me staff season five. So at each of those seasons, I'm, my duties are getting more. Like I'm, I'm able to like rewrite. I'm doing. It's called punch up, but I was like rewrite. We would rewrite scenes on the fly. Like the way he worked, nobody else works this way. I just want to understand. I'm yeah. just trying to say that you did this gig where you read the Voice for mm-hmm. four years. Four years. Four years. Four seasons four seasons. before you got bumped to a writer. Mm-hmm. Four seasons. Yep. Four seasons, but they let me. They let me do my stand up. So I booked a big college tour of 150 schools in that time. So they let me go off and do that. So season two, most of season two and three, I wasn't there. So and I came back late of season three, and then all of season four. So and they let me leave for auditions. It was like a you don't get that. Like so, it was kind of a weird thing. Like. Yeah, man, when you when you can come. <laughs> so, I, so I was just learning like everywhere. So I, I had the job as the voiceover guy. They would throw me in uh, as an actor. And then I was able to like punch up stuff. But I didn't really get paid for the punch up stuff. And then season four, he goes, hey, man, I'm going to make you staff uh, season five. I was like, OK. And it, I really didn't even know that I wanted to do that till around that time, too, because I was like, I don't know if I want to. But I but once I started seeing 
the scripts. I, I was like, oh, I can do this. And then when I found out like about the insurances and all like, oh, yeah, why not? I, I want to do this. So it was it was never a thing. Great health insurance. And yeah. The minimum wage. Is all something of that around stuff. at that point, four thousand dollars a week. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I wasn't. But it wasn't something that I thought I wanted to do either. So I was trying to get on camera and still am. But that, that, so when he said I was like, cool. But then the show got canceled. So I didn't get on. So then um, I ended up doing like I wrote a cartoon for BT with Orlando Jones and Ali. And then I was doing stand up again. And then Ali gets. Are we there yet? Relationships, every relationships. He gets. Are we there yet? But he brings me in to act in the first 10. So I was an actor now and it was fun. Um, but then the show gets picked up for all 90 episodes. And so before that, what happened was Russell Peters took me on the road with him for like six weeks and we ended the tour at Radio City Music Hall. Ali and the cast and crew from Are We There Yet came to see me perform at Radio City Music Hall. That led to me acting in Are We There Yet? Then the show gets picked up. Ali calls me and he says, look, man, um, if you want to be in the Writers Guild, I can bring you on the staff. He goes, this ain't your show. I ain't going to be putting you on camera. <laughs> but if you want to come and, you know, get in the guild and, and start doing that, then, you know, job is yours. I was like, yeah, all right, let's do it. So I moved to Stanford, Connecticut. Still got on camera a little bit, but uh, not a lot of it. But I did, I was able to do like, I did a few commercials in New York and all of that stuff. Then, uh, But I did 90 episodes and that was my first Writers Guild gig. And that was my first lesson in multicam too, because we shot three episodes a week, multicam. It was like a play, writing writing plays every every week. And it strengthened my muscle in that space. And so each gig, I was getting more and more confident. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Hey, everybody. I've talked a lot about AquaTrue on this show, the amazing water purification system that's literally a miniature water cooler in your home that purifies the water in a way that no one else has ever figured out how to do. It's this incredibly efficient piece of equipment and it gives you the best tasting water you can ever imagine for pennies. 
You just take it out of the box, plug it in, put your tap water in it, and it takes out all the bad chemicals and gives you the best and healthiest water you can ever imagine, saving you thousands of dollars each year from buying bottled water in the store. I have one at my house and office, and everyone who uses it orders one, and you should too. Just go to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, and if you act now, you can get $100 off and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had, and never waste another dollar buying bottled water again. I just want to share another groundbreaking product with you. It's a revolutionary air purifier that will change the way your home operates. And I'm talking about the air doctor. The air inside our home can be up to a hundred times more polluted than the air outside. But with the air doctor, you don't have to worry about it as it removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and so many other contaminants that circulate throughout our homes. Till now, the only thing that could come close to this product were systems that cost thousands of dollars. But now you can get the Air Doctor for a fraction of the cost, normally $600. And if you don't believe me, check Amazon. But for a limited time, I can give you 50% off and save you $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and get rid of all the bad toxins in your home. I'm telling you, I have this product. It really, really works. So get one now and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air you can ever imagine. Why don't you tell our audience, in your opinion, mm -hmm. the difference between single camera and multicam as an actor mm. and as a writer? Oh, okay. As an actor, let's start as an actor first. As an actor, multicam is bigger. Um, your thoughts are as an actor, you know, you're thinking character thoughts and the, and the stakes in every scene are super are really high and you you're in fixed sets too. You're kind of like, you know, kitchen, bathroom, you know, garage. It's not you're not moving around a lot. Everything is kind of like a play. You basically come in, tell some jokes, and you leave. <laughs> you have to figure out, why am I here? Okay, what do I want? And so it's it's bigger and it moves in that space. Single camera for an actor is smaller. It's uh, the, the, the performance is more grounded. You can pull more, um, you can do more subtle things, more nuanced things. The camera can pick, can just be on your hand for something, and then it can come up to your face. Like, it's... Um, and so it's it, it and the days are the days are longer <laughs> um the hours are longer as a writer uh i would say multicam is a lot more exposition you know what i mean like uh like like you you and i would have a scene and i would say like like the last time you went to the post office, you know what I mean? We all know what happened the last time. No, nobody saw it. Nobody knows what happened. But in a single camera, we would step out what happened at the post office. Like you would wake up and go, oh, I got to go to the post office. We will follow you to the post office. You would have an, an altercation with somebody in the parking lot. And that would come back to bite you in the ass. And that, the whole episode would be about the post office. 
in multicam is like he don't like post offices and then we all just have to accept that it's true <laughs> and move and move the story you know forward you know whatever whatever the joke is so they they just they just attack the information from a different space you know what i mean and uh and in multicam it jokes it's jokes on top of jokes on top of jokes but the most success, successful ones i find are also extremely active so you know and what's been happening right now is a lot of people are mixing the genres up so you'll see like a lot of fantastic actors in a multi-cam but they're performing it like it's a single cam so it may not something might feel off you know it's it's just a different way in which you approach the work one six degrees of separation Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention some names. Okay. Tell me what comes to your mind. Could be a word. Okay. Could be a sentence. Could be a story. Could be anything. Okay. Kenya Barris. <laughs> That's how Kenya laughs. Kenya has one of the best laughs in Hollywood. You want him to think your stuff is funny. You feel fantastic. But if you don't think it's funny, you're like, damn, where was that laugh? <laughs> Um, he, uh, yeah, man, he's, I mean, he's a shoot man, successful. That brother's successful. He, it, it worked out. He, uh, is an inspiration. I've never seen him, uh, walk in a room that he doesn't make better. Like people always feel better <laughs> after they've spent 30 seconds with Kenya and he smells amazing like <laughs> he has he has his own sense Ice Cube uh, Ice Cube is first of all incredible but Ice Cube has the one thing that I was he has this he showed me this Ice Cube is honest right and it's the type of honesty that explains why he will always be relevant and great in his business Snoop has it Cube has it like a, that's the difference that's the thing that makes people humility like I saw him perform in New York at BB Kings and what was fun is the show started at 8 o'clock now this is 40 year old Ice Cube right so the show started at 8 o'clock normally rap shows it'll say 8 o'clock they won't come out till 11 midnight 1.30 and be like yo they talking about we gotta go you know what I mean That that's kind of show starts at 8 o'clock 8.03 yay yay <laughs> Q was out there like I ain't playing around giving him his show I'm loving it big Ice Cube fan but I noticed New York they weren't really embracing it the way that I felt like they should have been embracing these hits and it made me go man I wish I saw him in LA People would have been crying, crawling on the walls. So I see him on set the next day and I go, hey, man, thanks for the tickets to the show. I had a great time. I loved it. He goes, for real? Because that was our worst show. So like he saw what I saw, you know what I mean? But he didn't pretend like, oh, yeah, thanks, man. We killed it. He was he saw like, oh, yeah, it was kind of like a New York. We created hip hop. You're even though you recorded this first album here in New York, you're still West Coast, so we can only give it up to you. So, you know what I mean? Like, it was that kind of energy. Like, we love you, but we can't 
go too crazy. You know what I mean? And so, but if I got to see him at the House of Blues when it was here, I know it would have been pandemonium. You know what I mean? So he has, he taught me that no matter how big you you get, hey man, don't lose that humility because it will keep you present and make you, help you always create your best work. Larry Wilmore. Fantastic writer. Uh, an inspiration to me in the in in the aspect of someone who was not old but older uh, by in in this business to to still get his own show like that shows what an incredible writer uh, and and what a creative mind he has and so it lets me know like him in the same vein of like a Lewis Black like hey man you're, you're not out you know and uh, so. And I always appreciate him because he gave me a job when my wife was pregnant with our first child and that money helped uh, tremendously. <laughs> I wish it wish the show would have lasted, but you know. Whitney Cummings. Man, that is Whitney Cummings is I just I'm I, 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 what can I say about Whitney? Like I loved our whenever we talk about relationships it's some of I wish people would record it you know I think she's getting married now and stuff so I'm curious to see what she's talking about now but uh, working on her show it was a amazing gift and a learning experience um, to 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 work with her um, yeah and I just I love the fire in her belly like that's the inspiration to me like she is the poster child of keep going you know like something might not happen and then when did you write a book you wrote a book <laughs> you know oh you wrote a movie you know so if you ever want to look at the deaf and she also turned me on to transcendental meditation she turned me on to TM which uh, I'm forever grateful for the late Gary Shandling. Man. Wow. That guy. Whew. Gary was a friend. He was. We used to have great talks at Homosa Beach Comedy and Magic Club. And he is someone who I enjoyed listening to and watching like his like his approach to life and his approach to business he showed me what comedy could do you know what I mean like you don't always have to he showed me being yourself was enough and finding the courage to really be who you are and express that no matter who's in front of you and to watch him constantly work on that and we also had the same acting teacher and I would see him take over shows by being present, being in the moment, and being honest when everyone else was being on. So he taught me that being present, being open, and being honest wins over being on all the time. So, um, yeah, R.I.P. Super missed. Cat Williams. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I've met Cat a few times. I think Cat Williams is a marketing genius. <laughs> uh, he also is someone who definitely knows his self-worth in this business 
And that's a great example. Um, he, I knew, I knew him when he briefly he used to go by this as as a character named Cat in the Hat, like briefly. And he was always a uh, an amazing performer, and so I'm happy to see him get an Emmy. Um for his work because he is a true true like lover and technician of, of this craft like it, it would be a big mistake to just dismiss him based on stuff you've heard you should really study that cat Dave Chappelle hey man <laughs> Dave Chappelle he's one, one of, of the few cats. guys who does the impression oh <laughs> he's from the area man uh God damn. Yeah, I love Chappelle. He is, uh, from, I mean, his his mom used to teach at the community college I grew up uh, behind. Uh, he's just one of those guys that as long as he is successful, it lets me know that, you know, PG County matters. <laughs> I don't know how to express it. Like, he also, him along with like Franklin Ajay and all those cats, just, but just let you know just another way of being funny. You know what I mean? You don't have to be loud. You don't have to be, you know, he, he played different notes. And I just, I just love, I love watching him work. Byron Allen. Ha! Byron Allen almost made me quit the business, man. <laughs> he wrote some scripts and he wanted me to read them. And I said, I'll read them if you tell me how you made all your money. And he did. <laughs> he talked to me for like six hours. There's a tip, guys. Uh, nobody asks rich people how they made their money, and they can't wait to tell you. <laughs> they have a lot of time on their hands avoiding people asking them for money. So uh, <laughs> he, he told me some things that literally made me walk to my car going, am I doing this right? That guy is amazing. Uh and he had, he trusted me. He, he, he had, has that humility thing. He's very aware of who he is. He's very aware of his brand. He's very aware of what he's doing. He knows this business backwards and forwards and uh, opened my eyes to a lot of things. Like, I would dare to say he's the Malcolm X of show business. <laughs> I would say that. I would say that. This brother is on it. I love Byron. Chris D'Elia. Chris D'Elia. First of all, I love Chris. I love his dad. I love his mom. Like his, when he was first coming up, his parents would come to the shows. And um, it made me miss my mom. My mom is here with us still, but it made me like, oh, man, I wish my mom could be kicking it out here. He's such a, um, he's a way better. I'm going to tell you this. I think he's starting to talk about it now. Chris D'Elia's like life story is so interesting and so amazing. I think he's talking about it now in his act that he 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 blew up talking about stuff that was kind of easy for him to talk about. So this stuff that he's talking about now, oh my goodness! Like he's a true, just fantastic actor, fantastic light in this game. And uh, yeah, man, I, one of those cats you just like having around. You know, it's about to be a fun time if D'Elia's in the building. Jamie Fox. 
man what can he do um Jamie Foxx what did Jamie Foxx what did he tell me oh he told me because when I used to open for him very Jamie Foxx did two things for me that he probably is unaware of but when I was 19 working at the Funny Bone I got yelled at by the owner for inviting a girl to his show that I liked and Jamie watched me get berated and then he kind of set the owner straight and then quietly just pulled me aside and just said, hey, man, you got to pay your dues. <laughs> and so I understood what he meant by that. And then Jamie Foxx started Foxhole Radio on Sirius XM. And so in 2007, I shot a comedy special with my own money. I spent like 100 grand on this special and I wasn't able to resell it. And then Foxhole picked it up and out of residuals, I made like that money back. <laughs> so whenever I see Jamie, I thank him for just creating that opportunity. And he's like, oh man, for sure. <laughs> so thank you, Jamie Foxx. And you bet on yourself. Yeah. Russell Peters. Ra P. Russell Peters. What can I say about Russell? Russell came at a time when I wasn't feeling that confident about my my artistry and he saw me perform it, what I call a, a fuck it set and he came up to me afterwards and goes hey man you wanna you wanna you wanna go on a road with me and I was like yeah, I don't care yeah man. and so I got to know him there and uh, got to be exposed to his audience and it was just incredible man just being inside of his his world and uh, I helped him get his first acting job and um, we taught each other a lot of things and I just I wish him the best that cat is uh, I've never seen I've never seen like I don't know he, I think he's maybe the first internet comedian I would say you know what I mean so it, it was it was interesting to like be around around that cat he he can't do anything he he really wants to do, you know, and uh, I think he's about to have another kid, so hopefully our kids have uh play together <laughs> chris rock man, me and Neil Brennan have we probably need to go to therapy over our dealings with chris rock <laughs> he's like a he's like a big i I'll put it like this. He is Michael Jordan's father. You know what I'm Do you know that story? I've heard that Michael Jordan's father pushes him, pushed him to be great by almost like acting like he didn't believe in him. <laughs> so it's like, I'm going to show you and then look at Mike. And so Chris is kind of like that. Like, I got so many stories with him, man, just hazing me. Um, but then. He'll come out of nowhere and just go, hey, man, you're doing a good job. <laughs> it's like, hey, man, what? Huh? So, you know, just, yeah, he's like a comedy, a comedy big brother that, you know, I don't know. Just, he's, he's funny, man. He's just one of the best to ever do it. What I really loved about Chris Rock, too, is that he's not cool. You know what I'm saying? But he's so funny, it makes him cool. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? So to see that, man, if you really work at this, 
you know, you can change how the world sees you is uh, was something that I always kept in my back pocket, you know. And uh, he helped me get past at the comedy store. He was the guy who vouched for me, which I didn't know. Like, he does stuff like that. Like, you, huh? You what? Wow. So you never know what, what Chris is thinking. And he's an amazing, amazing producer. Like, he knows how to put things together. But this with that, this uh, he's really good at, at that. Your proudest moment in show business? I would say I um, I cried when I got the call saying I got passed at the comedy store. Um, because I never felt like I had a comedy home at that time. So they kind of like saved my artistic life when I got that call. It was we. I was one of the last classes that Mitzi actually passed. And so that felt good as a validation. Um, and every every couple of years, you you just don't realize. I was like, oh man, yeah, it felt good to be a part of a club, you know. So I would say that. I would say, hmm. But I would say like, but I feel like there are other moments still out there that haven't happened yet. But I'm close, you know. I'm trying to think of some other things. I think when I got Montreal New Faces for the first time, that felt good because it was years of rejection <laughs> for that. Your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level. My biggest disappointment was when my the first hour special I shot came back in the edit and the, uh, the cameraman who was supposed to do the medium close shot he was blurry he was soft focused so all my jokes all my punchlines are delivered on my left shoulder (laughs) and so we couldn't resell it because it just didn't look right so that was that was a stressful time but had I not created that like serious you know I didn't know Sirius XM was going to exist I didn't know Foxhole Radio was going to exist you know what I mean? So it was almost like it let me know just to keep creating. Uh, it trusts my instinct. And, and, and because I, I became gun shy, I, I didn't do another special for like seven years. And the next one I did, I did it with iPhones. I said, I'm not spending a dime. <laughs> oh, yeah. So what I did was I bought 10 iPhones and I shot a special on them. And then I returned the iPhones <laughs> and got my money back. <laughs> if um, if the if the wonderful Amber Bickham didn't introduce me to the awesome Jeff Urin, who was also Dave Chappelle's editor, I would not have spent a dime because I was going to edit it myself. But Jeff Urin um, cut it for me because he was excited. He was like, "This is so disruptive." And I remember Chappelle saw it. He was like, oh, oh, this is a good look. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I got I got motivated from that. And all that whole thing started by me getting passed on for a half hour by Comedy Central after I was approached. It was a that's a weird story. Um, but then uh, Ernest Thomas on the set of Everybody He's Chris told me don't wait on Hollywood to give you permission to be great and so that sent me on so what I what I did was every week 
we had a different director come in and direct an episode of Everybody Hates Chris. And so I would look up their credits on IMDb and if they directed a comedy special. And most of them were kind of like in Chris's universe. They may have directed them in a comedy special or or a, a movie project or what have you. I would take them to lunch and then I would ask them, how do you shoot a comedy special? And I would take detailed notes. And over the course of a year, I felt very ready to shoot a special, but I didn't know if I could direct it myself. So I, I asked one guy to do it. He couldn't do it. He recommended another guy, and that guy, it it wasn't a great, um, it wasn't the best situation. So we weren't able to sell that special, but I had learned so much. I learned so much from that process that I was confident in how to make comedy specials. So I shot this special and it did great. Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business, I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to BarryCats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Last question. Yes. What advice do you have for the young guy not knowing what happened with his mom and dad Duh. coming over from another country? That guy. Growing up in a small town somewhere in the United States or the world. Yeah. And how they take the journey to get to the next little baby steps of being a stand-up, a writer, an actor. Right a creator and executive producer how do you get to that level what advice do you have for the audience <laughs> wow i would say trust your instincts you don't today you don't need to be in hollywood i don't well i would say first of all just define what making it is for you that's very important because when you, if you don't know what that is, then you'll never be satisfied. And you could end up like having like self-destructive behavior and all that stuff. So define what making it is for you before you start this journey. Also, it helps if you know who your friends are before you start. <laughs> because Hollywood is tough to make uh, new friends. You you will make some great ones along the way, but and then I would say trust your instinct and keep creating. And like the environment now with all these platforms, you know, 
you can get your voice out there and get it heard and get it seen from wherever you live. You don't necessarily need to come out here and you could probably do it a lot cheaper <laughs> wherever you live. So content, man, put it out, have humility, watch it back, learn from where where is what's good and what's not good. Challenge yourself. You'll see you may have some habits or some tricks or some things that you fall back on. Try to try to get rid of those. If you're doing stand up, record every set, listen to it back. You know, try to, you know, go for brevity, try to rewrite each joke, make them tighter. Look at watch your performance. Don't fall into bad habits. But yeah, record everything, study who came before you. If you want to do stand up, you know, get a Bill Hicks album, get shoot, man, <clears throat> listen to Lenny Bruce, listen to, listen to the people you like, and then listen to the people they say they like, you know, don't just start, don't just start with Louis C.K. or Chappelle, go before that, Franklin Ajay, Red Fox, Moms Mabley, Bob Newhart, you can learn stuff from, from everybody. Um, study, study how people are marketing themselves too. Like I love looking at unheard, you know, up and coming musicians. <laughs> they always have the most creative marketing ways I find, but yeah, study, man, study, read, get some books on comedy. There's nothing wrong about reading. Gene Perret's written some amazing, amazing books on comedy. If you want to, executive produce producing is basically problem solving so <laughs> um and um but if you want to direct direct something just direct just shoot it man just shoot it you got the phones now camcorders i bought a camcorder for 160 bucks barry because phones have taken over the market so you can get a get a camcorder you can do whatever um but stay active. Stay off Instagram because <laughs> it'll make you jealous and inactive. Just keep creating. Put your stuff out. And uh, and this is like the time to do this. And like the Internet will tell you if something's good and if it's not good. And it's basically like a studio. You'll get your notes right there in the comments and you can choose to listen to them or not choose to listen to them. But uh, and if you want to act, get in the class if you want to write take an improv class <laughs> I'm telling you it'll help you and um, yeah don't be afraid of classes don't be afraid of learning if you want to and also if, if you want to do films you got to study films I know I remember Neil Brennan said he watched every Academy Award winning film since the Academy started he, he watched only the winners Owen Smith, man. The over-deliverer. <laughs> the over-deliverer. <laughs> I always say, show me who you're with, and I'll show you who you are, and all the people that you've been around who have chosen to have you in their lives mm -hmm. and in their workspaces. There's a reason for it, and I'm honored that you did this with me today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Barry. I hope you know how much I love you and how much I feel so, so proud of you. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. The feeling's the same.
Okay, I'm going to scroll through the list of people who sent me a message, and one of these people will be a lucky winner. And they'll get to attend a podcast live with one of my guests, meet them, shake their hand, ask them a few questions, or else if they're out of town, out of state, or out of the country, we'll Skype them in or FaceTime them or anything like that so they can be there. Why not? So let me look here randomly and pick somebody. All right, landing on 9-989, December 22nd, 2016. Heading reads, Sir, five stars. Comment reads, Brill, great host, great podcast, real great show. Thank you so much, 9-989. You are a winner. And that wraps up part one of our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with AquaTrue, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code Barry and start enjoying the best water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I Killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to IKillJFK.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life. It instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And here's a preview of the next very special episode. Dr. Phil, if you're going to make it, in this arena you got to get in the arena you've got to get in the game and i believe that value added is rewarded and if you get somewhere and start adding value it's going to be rewarded thank you so much for listening and have a great day As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get all the money, drop that fancy car. All the people love you, cause you're going for life is for the dreamers. They it's never quite over till it all feels the same. You pick your own poison, dig your own grave down in the valley. A fortune.
Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a comment and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.